Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Makaya, who's our lead author. And we have a special guest today, Brad Freeman, who writes the Stock Market Nerd Substack. And what we're going over this week is a heavy week of earnings calls. Last week, we had a height of earnings season and a lot of tech companies that were reporting as well. And Brad, I know you cover a lot of the tech companies. So thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Big fan of you guys. I, I don't I don't know how you churn out transcripts so quickly and follow the quote so perfectly, but that is a gift. Might are paraphrased. I definitely mean words that you guys don't. So big fans of you guys. Thank you. Thank appreciate you. it. Started up at the top, just on the macro section for our newsletter this week, wanted to highlight some of the things that we're finding. It's really a continuation of what we've been seeing for several months now, which is that even though there are reports of consumers having a little bit more hesitation about the state of the economy, consumers are still spending pretty strongly. Consumer spending is resilient. And that, of course, continues to help promote inflationary trends. And this makes it harder for the Fed to be able to slow down on interest rate increases. But I think the market was buoyant last week. Capital markets were buoyant last week at the idea that they might slow down interest rate increases, which I think will get a better sense of this week. But Brad, what are you seeing out there? When, how are you filtering through the things that you're looking at? Yeah, in, in macro land, and I'm sure you guys know this, there's so much noise and there's this little portion of really relevant signal that I try to focus on as closely as possible. I love stock picking. I love talking about micro. I love talking about companies and their fundamentals and their prospects. But when macro is such a head, when you focus on it, and this is mainly US focused, but the trends are very clear across the globe. Um, so we have this combination of manufacturing and economic data looking pretty bad. We have layoffs that are coming, unfortunately, daily at this point in time. But at the same time, we haven't really seen the employment market become the more pressing Fed mandate versus inflation. PCE, which is their favorite metric, came out last week. And yeah, it was a little cooler than expected, but it's still over 5% year over year. The Fed, I, they can't pivot when we still have an, an unemployment rate that looks pretty healthy. So to me, it's very clear, like, the economy's weakening, it's going to continue to weaken, and it can only continue to weaken for so long before inflation starts to look better and employment starts to look worse, and the Fed has to focus on that. Your growingly fragile mandate um, now, and this is where I'm going to like very closely agree with you, it, we're pretty far away from that happening right now. It does seem somewhat likely to me that Q1, Q2 next year, 2023, will mark the end of this hawkish tightening cycle. Don't know if that's going to mean we're going to cut rates and start imploding the balance sheet again, but I do think that probably means we're going to stop hiking as aggressively as we are right now, or even at all. We're not going to bottom and things are not going to be fun once things are incredible and amazing. And markets are going to sniff out that improvement in economic progress and front run it like it does in every single cycle. Yeah. Now, maybe a key thing that maybe I wanted to highlight a bit in the macro section is something about, I think it's only 3M who picked it, something about the consumer, them seeing a bit of weakness in the consumer, especially in the month of October and the consumer spend. Overall, as we say, like from the macro section is about over spending being very strong, consumer balance should be strong, but this one point of weakness that stood out. I don't know if you'd uh, any comment on that. Yeah, I mean, I think my best explanation for this is the goods versus services spend, which 3M is going to be primarily seeing the lens into physical goods. I still go back to what the credit card companies are saying, which is they see overall resilience and they see that most of the consumer spend portfolio. So 
I think you have to defer there. And so the quote that stands out to me is that Visa in its own planning is not planning for a recession throughout the next year. I think this may be a good opportunity to just jump straight into tech, tech land because that was where the bulk of earnings were. I think Facebook was the most interesting quarter of any of them with the way that the stock reacted. Brad, in the newsletter this week, Obviously, everybody knows about the investment in the metaverse, and I think that's what was driving the sell-off in the stock. But in our newsletter, in the transcript newsletter this week, we actually picked out two quotes that I think are a little bit contrarian because we have two quotes that show that most of the spending is in AI and data centers. And then also, actually, that Facebook may be taking share from TikTok, they said, on their call, which I think those two things are totally different than what markets are expecting in reaction to the stock. I'm wondering if we're crazy or you're seeing the same thing or what your thoughts are. Yeah, just, you're crazy. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, if you scroll through Twitter, you think Meta is a dying company with shrinking user growth and shrinking revenue. And it's just not, it's just not the case at all. You said saying we're taking share from TikTok, telling us finally, giving us sort of a timeline on reels monetization and when it's going to stop being cannibalistic and start to be a revenue headwind. That's only 12 months away, which to me right now, that's the main headache for Meta because we're seeing the family of apps operating margin contraction, I think went from 38 to 32% sequentially. That's really a matter of them leaning into reels and leaning away from these more profitable monetization vehicles, which is coinciding with all of this macro pain and just adding to the headache for them right now. But, and then you have FX, which is shaving five, 6% off the top line as well. So it's, it's just this perfect storm of headwinds. But then as you're saying, you look at the core business and it's doing way better than any kind of takeaway after the earnings report may hint at engagement in all the apps stuff. It's really a matter of them just, or Zuckerberg just being so unwilling and so just apathetic to the investment community's preferences and wants right now. The main focus in the investor community has pivoted aggressively from revenue growth to, to free cash flow generation right at the exact same time that Meta pivoted away from free cash flow generation and leaned into revenue growth to build the next hardware interface to make themselves more insulated from Apple and to take that next computing platform for themselves. And so to me, it's a matter of Mark Zuckerberg saying, I don't care what you think about my spending. I'm going to continue to spend way more than anybody else wants me to. And Meta can afford for this to be an absolute zero in a bagel and still to be sitting on tens of billions of dollars of cash on hand still to have half of the world on their apps and still able to pivot high probability growth levers that they can pull. So maybe a two additional talking points. What you talked about, Scott, in terms of CapEx, some of the CapEx is actually going towards AI. And the AI part of it is also being, it's also showing up in Reels. So especially Reels monetization. So because Reels is a, it's almost a copycat of TikTok trying to, I think in the same way they tried to cut the heels of Snapchat with Insta stories a while back. So you get the same way that Meta has responded to the threat from TikTok. And I saw some statistics that show that TikTok's, especially in terms of growth, has also plateaued. And now Metaverse, and now Reels is actually growing. I think last quarter, he said it was a $1 billion run rate business. So now it's a $3 billion run rate business across, in, across Insta and Facebook. So in, in that sense, that the CapEx arm of it is going towards containing the threat. And I think one of the quotes, I read a bit in the past about Zuckerberg is that if we, yeah, the thing that is going to make, that is going to kill uh, Facebook, we have to be the ones to create it. So in terms of they are the ones to create something like Reels. So they're okay with taking a bit of a hit. I think like this quarter, they took a half a billion hit in terms of revenues and because Reels is not yet monetizing at the same pace as uh, the other products. From one of the quotes that also took off on our Twitter page, it's about him 
being supremely focused, not on the stock, right? It's actually willing to, to take a hit on that, but it's extremely focused in terms of investing, as he calls it, the long run. It's, it's okay to take those short-term, to take those short-term hits for a while. What do you think, Scott, yourself? Yeah, I think the opportunity that I see here is that the perception is diverged from the reality on that investment spend. And to Brad's point, probably markets are more focused on free cash flow generation than rewarding companies for investment. But I think people are particularly down on metaverse investment. And there is the perception that Facebook or Meta is spending so much on metaverse because they changed their name to Meta. And so it's almost better to become a caricature of the story to just visually look at those images of Mark Zuckerberg in the metaverse, say the metaverse is never going to materialize and say, oh, they're burning all of their free cash flow. Forget the fact that they generate a ton of free cash flow and operated cash flow, which I think is what really still probably matters here. But even if you set that aside, the investment is primarily in AI data centers, which data centers, especially are a lower risk place to spend your dollars. I mean, it's a place where an active moat can be created for companies like Meta and Amazon and Google. Like it needs to be competing in data center and AI as well as one where it needs to be competing. So I think honestly, if Facebook hadn't changed their name to Meta and had changed their name to AI Inc. or something like that. Instead, this stock easily could be trading for 50, 100, 200% more than it's trading right now. But they changed their name to Meta, and this is the opportunity potentially for a catalyst. One other area that we highlighted that I think is worth talking about in the tech sector is another place where I think reality may be diverging from where perception is still, and that's in cloud computing markets. We picked out negative comments from Amazon and Digital Realty Trust about sales cycles in cloud computing markets. And this is one where there's been double digit percentage growth in cloud computing for several years now. And these are markets that are perceived to be extremely strong. If there is some sort of weakness starting, that could be an area where there's been, where there's getting misperception in markets. But Bradley, I don't know how close you follow cloud computing, but I'd be curious for your thoughts here. Yeah, not super closely, but just reading the headlines of Amazon freezing AWS hiring, which is one thing to freeze fulfillment hiring, but it's another thing to freeze eight. I mean, your star revenue channel and your highest market revenue channel, the freeze hiring there is a bit concerning, but me, so I think I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I think AWS slowed from like low 30% growth, like mid 20s or something like that. And Azure's at around 35% and didn't slow all that much. So to me, I mean, a quarter from ad, Microsoft's Azure was extremely impressive. Yeah, I'm starting to see enterprise software spend look a bit weak, which was the best house in a bad neighborhood, if you want to call it, for a long time. And the kinks are starting to show up. We saw Google guide down. We saw Amazon guide down. We saw Microsoft guide down. We saw Apple not give guidance, but maybe a bit underwhelming on the services side of things. And their quarter, like you were saying at the beginning of the call, services and goods diverging a little bit. So yeah, cloud is going to continue to be a great place to play. The runway is extremely long. The use cases are extremely objectively value building, but right now it's not really the focus. Right now the focus is on survival and then I think it'll shift back to improvement over time. <laughs> I think uh, maybe to maybe add to that is... Uh... From AWS, at least in terms of growth, I think people have been expecting for the past couple of quarters, uh, growth, which is above around 35% to 50%. Uh, from a chart I was, I was actually developing over the weekend, you see that their growth in the past couple of years is between averaging around 40 to 50%. But then now I think they're in that phase of growth where some of the companies are actually taking a bit of time in terms of 
thinking a bit more about how much they actually need in terms of space, or at least in terms of taking up a bit more of their spend to the cloud. So I think when you see that bit of nervousness, a lot of people are just maybe taking a bit of time to see how does the economy play out. So I think what you talked about, how is the macro heading? Maybe when things become clear in that end, then the growth may be back in some of these cloud players. But even for AWS, they were talking about the time when they exited this quarter, they saw growth that is around the 20s when they had, but the whole quarter is around 28. And then towards the end of the quarter, they see it around 20, 20% growth the year over year. So I think in that regard, then there's a bit of moderation in that. So something to pay attention to for our listeners. Grant, I wanted to maybe in closing thoughts, uh, maybe you could give us a few thoughts in terms of anything that you would want listeners to know and also where the, the listeners can find you. Sure. Yeah. So I, I guess just maybe going back to mega cap tech and what we've seen over the last uh, several weeks, we had Google and Facebook growing up above 40% year over year during, 20, during, during 2021 when that pandemic sugar high was at its all-time high, really just about 1,522,000 basis points ahead of their run rate growth and where they should be. So I think all, like all of this pain, and for me, I, I wear the meta hat because that's the position in my portfolio. This pain needs a little bit of context because when you look at Facebook DAUs and three-year path, 2 billion users for Facebook alone growing at a 7% CAGR. So I mean, you, you can't, there, there's 7 point something billion people in the world. They're not going to grow users by 30% in perpetuity. And by still growing at a 7% clip at this incredible base, I think it just it d- defeats the argument that the core business is just dying and, and not healthy. And that's not what I see at all. I see exactly what you guys are saying, which is they're not willing to slow down spend right now. And they're either going to be fabulously rewarded for it in the future, or it's not going to work and they'll have to pivot and figure something else out. Uh, where can the listeners find you? Oh, stockmarketnerd.com. Thank you. I appreciate you letting me say that. I think, Scott, any closing thoughts in terms of maybe takeaways from earnings, anything that you may have missed last in, in our talks? Yeah, I think one other thing that we probably should highlight are the quotes that we picked up from CoStar Group in the real estate sector. These were very bearish real estate comments, talking about office vacancy rates continuing to decline and how the effect of rising interest rates are really impacting transactions, sales volumes, and pricing in real estate markets. And so I think one of the most bearish thing that I saw from CoStar was talking about how distressed property markets evolved in 2008 and saying that even though the distress and dislocation was happening in 2008, there weren't, there were only, this is the quote from CoStar, there were only 2,900 distressed commercial property sales in that year. And then it took four years to peak in 2012, there were 60,000. So almost more than four times as many distressed sales. And he said, similar to 2008, there's only been 2,000 distressed sales so far in 2022. And he said, I would not be surprised if the number of distressed property sales quadrupled over the next few years. So again, we see this dynamic in real estate markets, both in terms of housing and potentially on the commercial side. Uh, price lagging where the interest rate environment is. And so if we're going to start pricing equity, either in securities markets or real estate markets to where these interest rates are, there's still quite a bit of pricing deterioration that could count. Thank you for joining us this week, especially Brad, for this special episode on tech. I will hope to have you again in the future. Thank you, Scott, also for being with us. For our listeners, you can always follow us at the transcript underscore on Twitter to keep up to date on earnings calls. And Good. again next week to continue this earnings season again. So bye for this week and I'll see you again next week. Thank bye. you. Bye.